Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, we are getting down to it here. Only five parshiot left in the Torah as we near the end of Deuteronomy. That means the high holidays are coming, which means I better get my sermons written. Don't tell my congregation, please. It also means that the end and the beginning of the Torah reading cycle is coming. Middle of October, we're going to finish the Torah, and we're going to start it all over again. So before I jump into this week's Parsha, let me invite you to consider coming to study the weekly Torah portion with me by Zoom. I lead two Torah study groups that meet each week on Zoom to talk about the parasha, one which meets on Tuesday afternoons, which is for beginning learners, people who are just entering into a journey of Torah study, and one that meets on Fridays that is for really anybody who's been through the Torah a bit and wants to continue learning in an interactive and inclusive and egalitarian and really interesting environment. So if you've been thinking about delving a little more deeply into Torah study, then the week of October 10th is when we're going to start the Torah all over again. Feel free to send me an email, rabbistreifer at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to tell you about the groups, and we'd love to have you join us. Now, let's talk Kitavo. Kitavo is Deuteronomy chapter 26, through chapter 29, verse 8. We are about to cross over into the promised land. Moses, of course, is not going with us. And this entire book of Deuteronomy has been all the advice and laws that he wants us to take with us. The Parsha opens with a familiar passage in an unfamiliar setting. This is the beginning of chapter 26. tavo el ha'aretz. When you enter the land that God is giving you as a heritage and you possess it, then every year you're supposed to take some of the first fruits of your soil, that is, some of the harvest that you grow, you're supposed to bring it to God at the temple and offer it as a thanks offering for the bounty that you've been given. And the Torah tells us which words we're supposed to say when we bring those first fruits. And they are as follows. This is in verse 5. Arami Oved Avi, Vayered Mitzraima, Vayagorsham Bimteimat, Vayisham Lagoy Gadol at Sumverav. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourn there, and there became a great and populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. God heard us and set us free and brought us to this land, and therefore, I bring my first fruits to you today. I kind of paraphrase the latter part of that there. But you get the idea. Now, I say that this is a familiar passage in an unfamiliar setting because many of you might know this passage from the Passover Seder. We say it by way of telling the story of how we move from slavery into freedom. But here it's being told not with regard to Passover, but rather with regard to the ritual of bringing first fruits every year from our own produce. 
Now, I've talked about this in past years as well, and especially the question of why the blessing or the formula for first fruits tells the whole history of the people. Why don't we just say, thank you, God, for this food? So I don't want to get into that this year, but I will invite you, if you want, to go back and listen to last year's podcast about Kitavo, where we get into questions of cyclical versus linear time, questions of how Judaism sees God in history. This year, I wanted to talk about something different, which is actually a command in the Talmud that this passage must be recited in Hebrew. In Mishnah Sota, chapter 7, it gives a list of which rituals can be said in any language and which must be said in Lashon HaKodesh, in the sacred tongue, or Hebrew. And without going through the whole list, the Shema and the Amidah, as well as the blessing after the meal, the Birkat HaMazon, are allowed traditionally to be said in any language. But the priestly blessing and the recitation of first fruits, which is our passage here, must be said in Hebrew. So we have in Judaism this idea that you can say some blessings in any language, and partly because you want to be able to understand them. It's important to be able to understand the words that you're praying. But that other rituals or blessings are traditionally required to be recited in Hebrew. And the Gemara gives, the Talmud gives, a kind of a convoluted midrashic explanation for why you have to say this in Hebrew. It's because it uses the word ve'anita, which means you shall answer. And similarly, the Levites, a chapter later, also are supposed to answer with a series of blessings and curses. And just as they say those in Hebrew, so do you need to say this in Hebrew. But that doesn't really tell us much, right? Because it doesn't say why that priestly ritual needs to be recited in Hebrew. So elsewhere in the Gemara, elsewhere in the Talmud, it derives this from an analogy of the word kol. Kol in Hebrew means voice. Kol with a kuf, as opposed to kol with a kaf, which would mean all. So in the book of Exodus, when God gives the Ten Commandments, we're told that God answered bekol. God answered with this voice. And those words were spoken in Hebrew. And so the rabbis derive that just as God spoke to us in Hebrew, so do we speak back to God in Hebrew in certain circumstances? Okay, so now that I've thrown a bunch of Talmud at you, let's take a step back and look at what we have here. The rabbis have essentially assumed or, or derived that this ritual of first fruits is somehow akin to God talking to us at Mount Sinai. And that because of that, it must be recited in Hebrew. They don't say why, but it's possible it has to do with the communality of it. First fruits was something that everybody did at the temple. And standing at Sinai, similarly, was something that everybody did together. And there is something uniting about reciting our prayers in Hebrew. Something that connects us with each other. So again, the rabbis aren't saying exactly that, but maybe that's the reason this, that this first fruits ritual needs to be recited in Hebrew. But there's a problem. In fact, it's the same problem that we still have today, which is that not everybody knows the words. The Talmud goes on to say that because of this, in ancient times, 
Some people stopped coming to the temple. Some people stopped bringing their first fruits because they didn't know the words and they were embarrassed about not knowing the words. And so the priests in the temple started performing this ritual as a kind of a call and response. I'll say a word, you say a word. That way, no one would know who did and did not read Hebrew, speak Hebrew, know the words to the ritual, and everybody would be able to come and perform this ritual in the language in which it was required. Now that's so interesting to me because it's so much like some of the issues surrounding prayer today. Similarly today, not everyone reads and speaks Hebrew, and so therefore not everybody feels comfortable coming to the synagogue and participating in the prayer service. And so like the ancient rabbis, or in fact the ancient priests before them, we have created ways for people to be able to participate more fully. Ways like transliteration, ways like music and melodies and chanting that make it so that we can internalize and learn the words even if we don't fully understand what we're saying. These things are actually as old as Judaism itself. And I think it plays up a tension in Jewish prayer between prayer in Hebrew and prayer in the vernacular. The reality is that both of these have their benefits. When we pray in English, we can understand what we're saying. We can really mean the words and we can say them with a different kind of understanding and kavanah than if we're simply reciting words we don't understand. But at the same time, reciting prayers in Hebrew has a certain connectivity. It's really powerful to be able to know that you're saying the same words as all the other people in your sanctuary and every other sanctuary, and in fact, as previous generations of Jews for thousands of years We've been saying Shema Yisrael. These are words that have been passed down through the generations of our people. And sometimes there's a power that comes simply from saying them, even if you don't understand everything you're saying. So I think that Judaism has existed on a kind of a pendulum for a long time where we swing between the goodness of saying words in our own language and the goodness of saying words in our shared language. And we're seeing that here in Torah. We're seeing just how ancient it is. And that reminds me actually of a story, and with this I'll end, which is a Hasidic story of a child who played the flute. And the story goes that this little boy who's a shepherd in the story wants to go to Yom Kippur services with his parents. But he doesn't know Hebrew, he doesn't know the prayers, he just knows how to play the flute. And the parents allow this kid to come to services, and he is not supposed to bring the flute with him, but he sneaks it in his back pocket. And he sits in the back of the sanctuary watching all the people praying and swaying and singing with their talit on, with their beautiful voices, saying the words of the Yom Kippur prayer service. And he wants to pray. So he takes out his flute and starts to play. And in the story, the people all turn around and say, Stop that! Get that flute out of here! This is Yom Kippur services! Why aren't you saying the correct words? And the Baal Shem Tov, who is the founder and leader of the Hasidic community, says that this child's prayers were so pure and so filled with kavanah, so filled with intention, that they helped all the rest of our prayers rise to the heavens. So this story is always a reminder to me that prayer is about more than saying the right words. I'm putting right in quotes here. 
Prayer is also about what we bring, the intention, the kavanah, the feeling, the connection that we bring to our prayer experience. But I would contrast that by saying that prayer is also about saying words together with all the other people with whom you are praying, that we need the intentionality, the individuality of prayer, but we also need the communality of prayer. And part of that is praying in Hebrew. So as the high holidays approach, it's a good time to think about what your learning goals are for the new year. Maybe brushing up on your Hebrew, maybe delving a little more deeply into Torah, all these things that connect us with each other and that have been connecting us with each other for as long as there's been Judaism. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now have a great week. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.